Those of you staying here, let's take our Bibles and let's head over to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. If you don't have one of the handouts, you may want to make sure you get some there at the back door or hopefully the ushers will move through the auditorium. But while you're, uh, you're getting to Luke chapter 1, let's just get our minds going since it's just a beautiful, beautiful day. 100 kids were surveyed. They were asked, name a huge animal. What would kids say? Elephant's going to be there. Giraffe's not going to be there. Hippo's going to be there. Okay, alligator's not. Rhino's going to be there. Here's what they put. Lion, bear, rhino, hippo, elephant. And number one was dinosaurs. From their perspective. I guess that's the alligator. Okay. Here we go. 100 kids. Name something kids throw at each other. A ball. Toy. (laughs) Food. Food. Here's what they said. Balloons. Aren't you threatened by a balloon? Yeah, they'll throw at your paper, pillows, food, toys. Number one was balls. Name something kids lose. Everything, I think, is up there. Okay. <laughs> You're, you guys got most all these things. Homework, gloves, all that stuff. Did somebody say teeth? That's a good one for the kids. Okay, Track of time, teeth. Pencils, temper, money, and number one was toys. Name something kids hate to do. What'd you say? Bathe. Bathe. Okay. Chores, cleaning up room. What else? Brush their teeth. Here's what I said. Eat veggies, exercise, do chores, clean up their room, homework. Number one was bathing. Name a place you go to but are told not to touch anything while you're there. Grandmas. (laughs) Grandmas. <laughs> Isn't it a delight to go to grandma's house and you can't touch anything? Okay. Museum's going to be there. Antique store. Here we go. Old people's homes. I guess that, that's grandma's house. Okay, antique store, museum, gift shop, and number one was the zoo. That kind of makes sense if they're in the fence. Yeah, don't touch it. Name a famous miracle Jesus did. Walk on water, raise Lazarus. Water to wine. Feed the thousands, raise Lazarus. Walk on water, heal the blind, deaf. Feed the, fed the thousands, water to wine. Name something we know about Jesus' childhood. Okay, brothers and sisters, obedient. You can go all the way down to his, uh, to his birth. Okay. Anything you know about, yeah, he was born. Anything you know about his birth? Facts. Okay, the stable, town, things like that. They were born in a manger, worshipped by the wise men, saved from the attack, grew up in Nazareth. You guys didn't say a whole lot. Why not? We don't know a whole lot about his childhood. There's, there's not a lot there. We know he got lost for several days. Okay, we know that you know, he had some siblings, and so what we want to do in this course is we're going to take select passages that where Jesus had conversation and talk about what he talked about and what he was teaching. The very first recorded words of Jesus are in Luke chapter... Did I say one? Okay. Yeah. Um, I want to be in the, uh, the end of Luke chapter 2. I'm sorry. The second half of Luke 2. And uh, so this is the first time Jesus, we hear him speaking at all and what he, words he had said. And um, so it's, it's a really loaded situation. And to get the scene right, to understand about his childhood, somebody, somebody already made some comments. You said he had brothers and sisters. What else do you know about the home he grew up in as far as others there? Or his dad's a carpenter. What else? Anything else comes to mind? It's a Jewish home. Anything else strikes you? Did Jesus learn a trade? Yes, no? Okay, what's his trade? Carpenter, okay. Um, his childhood, he, we know this, and this is an important thought, because other churches, other pseudo-gospels, pseudo false gospels, they promote the idea that Jesus did miracles. We know he did no miracle as a child. Because, anybody know why we know that? 
um, it states very clearly. There's a passage in Scripture that states very clearly. The water to wine was his first miracle in John chapter 2. So he didn't do any miracles. But there's stories about how Jesus got upset with some boys. And so they were teasing him. He made them all birds and they flew away. Um, there's, a, there's a story about how he wanted to get some fruit from a tree. And so the tree bowed down to him and brought the fruit down to his level. Um, there's stories about how he entertained the other kids by he would whittle, because he was a carpenter and a carpenter's son, he would whittle an animal, a bird or whatever, and then he would, to the kids he, was, he liked, he would give them one of these wooden things that would become the real animal. And so there's all these different stories that talk about it, but we know that he did no miracles in his childhood. He grew up in a typical Jewish home, a family setting, where he had a dad and mom. He has brothers and sisters. Mary and Joseph had multiple children. Anybody know how many? Anybody remember? The Scriptures tells us. At least, including Jesus, there's seven, at least. There's four boys named in the Gospel of Mark, plus Jesus, and then there says his sister's. Okay, so we know that much, and how many sisters we don't know. Um, we know this as well. They didn't all; they weren't believers. When he was teaching and preaching in, Ma- in John seven, they were mock. His brothers were mocking him, and they were ridiculing him. If you're a real Messiah, then da 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 da. And so, not all of his siblings. And you can imagine why would there be a little bit of jealousy towards Jesus? Because. He never sinned. Yeah. After a while, I'd get tired of you know, this sibling that was the perfect child. And what could the teacher say to the other siblings? Why can't you be like your brother? Yeah, yeah. And so um, he's misunderstood by family. He grew up learning a trade that was already mentioned. And uh, he grew up in a very difficult social setting. Okay, they, the reason I'm saying, we, we think, uh, the scriptures indicates, poor family. Even when he was an adult, he didn't have a place to lay his head. Um, the community he grew up was like, oh, oh no, you're from Ono. Oh and I'm just saying that as a phrase, I'm not denigrating Ono. Oh but back in those days, it would be, what was the phrase? Can any good thing come out of... Nazareth in particular, Galilee in general. The region that they grew up was oppressed, Roman occupation. So he grew up in a time that was very difficult. It was hard times. It was a challenging time for the peoples. And uh, the story that gives us the most detail about Jesus' life is in Luke 2. It is interesting how the paragraph starts, the story starts. If you go down into Luke 2, Verses 39 and 40 is interesting. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city. That is when Jesus is how old? When they went and did the circumcision, the naming of the child. Eight days old. And now they return to their village of Nazareth, uh, where they're going to live. And then we have this comment. The child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Go down to the end of the chapter. And Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, and the favor with God and man. Those two verses seem very, very similar. It's almost like they're the outside of the sandwich and the meat of the story is right in between. But that's, all, that's the bulk of what we know about Jesus as uh, his childhood years. We get something when he's eight days old. And then we get something in the middle that says, okay, when he was around a teenager, teenager then all of a sudden we get one story, one clip. And that's all we have about his about his um, his growth, except for two times the author wants us to understand he was normal. In, in, he had normal growth. People often ask, "Well, did Jesus have the normal aches and pains, bumps and bruises? Did he have um, uh, growing pains?" Okay, what would you? How would you answer that? Yeah, yeah, because it says he grew physically. Okay, he grew academically, he grew in, in spirit, he grew in wisdom and stature, and he grew socially in favor with God and man. And so he had a normal growth, and it's, uh, it's really interesting. Uh, Charles Swindoll, in his commentary on this, pointed out something that I hadn't seen. And he says it's almost as if the author wants you to walk through and just see the, the development of Jesus Christ in just a capstone. He says in verse 40, what, what do they call Jesus? What word or term do they use for Jesus? 
child. The word that's used there in the original is a very young child, a toddler, a babe. Okay, that's the, uh, the word that we give up here, the pideon. Then in verse 43, what do you have? Do, you have a, do I have the right reference? Okay. What do you have in verse two? In, in, you have boy. Anybody have another one? Child. Mine reads child Jesus. Okay. There, it's a different word. It's indicating you know, a lad, somebody who is in the elementary age years or a little bit older. Then we have, like in verse 48, referring to Jesus. Now she calls him son, which is an indicative term, you know, that he is related, but also uh, the idea a little bit older. And then, then at the end, he's, his, uh, his adult name, his real name, Jesus, it's almost as if, oh, we just watched Jesus grow up through these verses. And he did. His episode in Luke chapter 2 is, a, is an episode of real growth. Jesus is increasing wisdom, stature. He's increasing in different, different uh, areas. But our question would be, well, what did he know about himself? Did he understand who he was? He, did he know absolutely everything in his humanity? He had to learn. How do you know that? Yeah, okay, so he had to go through a growing process. So what about his self-awareness? What about those things? And the story gives us a little bit of an inclination, and it's almost as if, boom, he matured at this one point, this one event in his life. And so what happens is we have Jesus speaking and telling us about himself. The account as well is the first time Jesus is the active participant. Everything else was, it was happening around him. But the account gives details about his family. What do you know about mom and dad from this story? The story reads in verse 41, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. What does that tell you about mom and dad? Anything? Okay, they're faithful, okay? And, and, and that's faithful despite the fact that, remember, they live days away from the temple. So travel would be easy or difficult? Difficult for anybody. How come it would be more difficult for Mary and Joseph? They got a family. They got several other siblings of different age. Do, is it more difficult when you have more kids in traveling? Okay, and so you, they're, they're individuals that are very faithful in that account. So we get a little bit of detail. The account summarizes his attitude and relationship with family and others. And um, in fact, this story reveals the shocking truth that Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. How do some people then view Mary and Joseph? What well, can you imagine some people say about Mary and Joseph? Careless individuals? Okay. That is probably coming from the commentators who have never had kids, okay? Is it easy to lose kids? Okay, I mean, I don't mean, you know, days and weeks and weeks. But is it easy to get into a store and all of a sudden you're looking around? And you, and you can't find them. You say, now's my chance. No, no, that's not what you say. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, there, it happens. I, I think most all of us probably have had one or at least one panic moment where it's like, what happened to them? Where are they? Um, and so it happened to Mary and Joseph, the same type of thing. And so the setting of the scene is very important for you to understand. And for people who would say, Mary and Joseph, they were, you know, totally unreliable. Why did God pick them? Well, understand some of what happened and why they were doing it. In the, in the Old Testament, the Jews were required to make, all over from the regions, they were to make pilgrimages. How many were they supposed to make? According to the Old Testament, what were they required to make? One. More. Three. They were to make them for three different feasts that they were supposed to make those different trips. That was the original commands. Now, by the time of Jesus Christ, remember, there's a whole other book being written called the Mishnah. The Mishnah was the explanation of the application of the different rules and giving more details about how to carry it out. And so in the Mishnah, what had happened is they started making an allowance. And, and by the way, the Jewish mindset, where did they put the Mishnah in comparison to the inspired scriptures? I'm talking the rules and regulations set up by the Pharisees. 
Okay, did they make them higher, equal, of no... Higher or equal? So the Mishnah was going to play out in the sense that it would have been told if you were living that day and you were Mary and Joseph, you were told in the Mishnah that because of all of this travel, having to come all the way from Galilee, and understand, Galilee is at least a couple days' journey. That's if you, you hoof it. Okay, if you're going by by foot and it's difficult and you've got family and you're supposed to be down for the feast for eight days, that's pretty tough. Three times a year, and so they made some accommodations in it. And so by the Jesus's day, they said you only need to if you're a Galilean living in the northern part. And, and remember, part of this playing in, there was an area that separated where Jerusalem was down in Judea. Galilee is up here. What's in between that they had to go through or around? Anybody remember this? This played into it. Samaria. Okay, and so you don't want to take your kids through Samaria because they might get touched by a Samaritan and they might get corrupted. Remember, there's that mentality that Samaritans are really, really bad. And so they made this rule that said you only need to come one time. Anybody want to guess what feast day? You got, you got choices. I've given you three of there that you have a choice. Which one do you think that they said you have to come down to? It was going to be the Passover. Okay. That they said, okay, you got to come down at Passover season. And you need to stay at least a couple days. Supposedly, they were supposed to stay a total of eight days. But a lot of them, they were allowed then after three days, the Mishnah said you could go back home. Be there day before, then the Passover, or the day after, and then you head for home. So a lot of Galileans were only there for three days. But uh, we're going to read in this story that Mary and Joseph stayed the entire time. And they stayed the full eight days. And so they traveled down, and they would travel in groups. Any, any guess why they're traveling in a group? Okay, safety is there. Any other options? Uh, that, that's clearly uh, a reality. Would there be any other reason why you might travel as a group? What's that? Yeah, keeping your kids occupied. Okay, because what do you do? What do you, how do you keep your kids occupied? They, they don't have iPads. We're, we're, you know, it's, it's a whole new, different world. They'd, they'd be playing with... The other kids, okay? Um, would it be easier to be in a group and then come when it comes cooking? Cooking as a group? So all those different things play. You know, it's going to be easier traveling, the company. And Jesus traveled as a group. Now, if you go to verse 44, how do we know they're in a group? And who's in this group? It's when they, they finally realize... It says, uh, verse 43, When they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child stayed behind in Jerusalem. Joseph and his Mary didn't know he stayed behind. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. And then where do they seek him? It's amongst the people who they're with. Who are they with? Relatives and friends. Okay, so you've got family and friends that they're traveling with, which makes perfect sense. And as we already mentioned, they, they stay for the recommended seven days for the celebration, but not required. And so what does that tell you about Mary and Joseph? They go to the Passover, they stay an extended time. Any, any inklings about the parents? Any observations you would make about mom and dad? Okay, they're dedicated. They're really faithful. Mary doesn't stay home just because she has the kids. They're going to travel. It's going to, be, it's going to be difficult traveling. You know that's true. You know it's difficult traveling. You know it's also difficult sometimes, you know, you know even, uh, and we're within the same miles and we have the vehicles. It's difficult to get the kids ready for church. You know that's difficult. And so Mary and Joseph are, are they're dedicated to this. This is, a, this is something serious in their mind that they're going to be involved in. And so we know that in the good sense, they're pious people. They sought to follow God's law. They sought to teach their children the same thing. So we commend Mary and Joseph. That makes perfect sense why they would do that. And uh, by the way, just to set the scene of what happened, because there's a lot of misinformation mis about what happens here. Uh, there's, I grew up, this is the way I grew up hearing about the story, that Jesus went in and he was inquisiting, uh, inquiring of the elders and the leaders, and he was now teaching them and took over all the classroom as if Jesus put himself in a superior position. Could he have done that yes. ability-wise? Yes? 
But that's not the way it reads. Okay, that's not how the story unfolds. To understand exactly what probably happened, you have to understand how they did education back in Bible days. Did kids go to school in Bible days? Yes or no? It's a, it's a 50-50. Did they have some type of school? They did. The Jew, Jewish communities had a school. They usually used what facility was the school? The synagogue. Okay, so we're not talking Old Testament. We're talking in the development of the intertestamental period when the Jews were all over the world scattered. They still wanted to teach their kids culture. And so schools came into vogue because we would have weekday school and then Sabbath would be their church day. And so they wanted to get the training. And so the rest of the world did have some education systems. The Jews adopted that. And it even came back and infiltrated Galilee as well Judea. And so the training would go that the boys would start going to school from 6 to 15 years of age. The boys were trained in a formal setting. The girls could be trained in a formal setting, but most of the time they were trained where? Do you want to guess? At home by mom. Okay, telling them what they need to learn. But the boys, they needed to know a little bit more in the sense that they were going to be responsible to understand and read the law and the Mishnah, okay, and to be familiar with that. That was very big in Jewish culture. And so uh, they would go to school, and typically this would be taught by the rabbis during the weekday. Their job was to be teaching the kids. And so in the New Testament, or in the church age, did that repeat itself in some, in some cultures, through the years. Say in early America, did some of this repeat itself? That the place where they held services on Sunday was also the school, the school during the weekday? You know it's true. Little House on the Prairie shows it to you, okay, <laughs> that they did. And, and who oftentimes was the teacher in the community? And I don't mean this in a, in a, in a uh, braggadocious way, but usually who had the most education? The, 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 the preacher, teacher. Not even, not even the doctors necessarily had the same education. And the clergy was usually the more academic, academic of the community, so they not only did the preaching, what did they do? They did the teaching, the reading and the writing. And typically, even in, American, in early American history, the preachers of those days would put us to shame, who are today. They had to know multiple languages. They had to read from the pulpit in Greek and Hebrew and preach from the Greek and Hebrew scripts. And so this is the, the Jewish culture, very similar. That what they did is their, their preacher, their rabbi was the one, and their textbook would have been the Bible. The, what happened is in the first years they would focus on the law the basic ideas of the law. Then what would happen in their upper years is they would focus on the Mishnah because it was explanation of the law. It was application of the law. Now, what would happen if all of a sudden a kid, 12, 13, 14, 15 years of age, if they showed some great ability, then there was even more education for them because what they typically did is after a period of time, they would, uh, they, would, in, they would quiz these kids and they would investigate, usually at around age 12. In modern day, we talk about bar mitzvah at age 13. In the New Testament era, it wasn't 13. It was a little bit before that. And what they would do, and they didn't have bar mitzvahs in the days of Jesus. That's something that comes post-centuries later. What they would do is the 12-year-old would have to do like... Um, did, did any of you, when you were in school, did you have like a ninth grade exam to see if you go to high school? Did any of you have that? Okay, the generation before us, you know, like in my parents' generation, things like that, I know that some of them had those types of things to see if they could go on even to the next level. Well, in Jewish culture, they would have that around that time when the kid was more like 12 years of age. And the reason they chose to do it at 12 is because they thought this is the time when the kid is hitting puberty, the kid is starting to become a man, he has religious responsibilities. So they would examine him to see if he knew certain things. He would have to be able to pray, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, um, (laughs) A memorized prayers. 
Okay? He would have to be able to show that he could pray certain prayers in the original Hebrew. Again, remember, they spoke mostly Aramaic. But they would uh, want to make sure that he knew certain passages by heart and certain prayers by heart. And if a child would show even more promise that after they did that examination, they could recommend that child to the Academy of Jerusalem. And then the Academy of Jerusalem would do investigation uh, when the kids would be in the region for Passover. They could do some examination. And if they showed great promise, they could mark those young men that later on when they get a little bit older or if the parents allowed at that point, they would come to the Academy of Jerusalem and they would train to become a, a rabbi. Okay? That's the setting of Luke 2. Jesus is going to be one of those kids who no doubt shows great promise. Could the, exam, could the account be talking about him having an initial examination recommended by his rabbi, by the leaders in Jerusalem with the potential of saying he might in the future be trained as a rabbi if his parents would allow for it? That is a strong possibility, not stated in the scriptures, but what we know all about the culture of that day and how things operated. And uh, it's interesting by the conversation that Jesus has, it seems to be a back and forth between him and the leaders, which would imply that could be what was happening in this story. And so we have already mentioned that. What happens then is... um, is that we mentioned that Jesus Christ, the other, the other thing, at age 12, the Jewish boys now, for the sacrifice that could pass over, once they were hitting this, this approval, they were ready to pray, they had to make their own sacrifices. So Mary and Joseph could make a sacrifice, a Passover lamb, for the entire family. But Jesus, if he met this requirements, now he, even as a teenager, would have to make sacrifice for himself as well. And uh, so that gives you a little bit of the culture of the setting. After the days in Jerusalem, they've done the feast, and Jesus stays. And as a result, his parents don't miss him until they get to a period of time. And you and I sit there and say, how did they lose Jesus for a whole day? How, how do you think that's even possible? It says that they didn't notice until the, after they traveled a whole day that he was gone. I mean, wouldn't you think there was less noise in the back seat? You would have noticed he was gone? No, Yes. How is it possible they could have, from a common sense explanation? <clears throat> Go ahead. Okay, it could be multiple kids, and he's lost in a crew of kids. Is that a possibility? Okay, what else is a possibility? Somebody was. Somebody else was. Okay, if he if they're traveling with relatives, what might you think? He's with the other relatives. Any other possibilities? Okay. I want to build on what you just suggested, Larry. Um, The way they typically traveled is they didn't travel everybody clustered together. They They would as groups, but typically, where would you position men? If it's a safety thing, where would you position the men? At the front? At the rear. Okay? And in between is... The woman and the kids, okay? Just think what we just said. At this moment, has there been a great change in Jesus' social standing? Yes, no? Okay. On the way down, who would he have traveled with? The kids with mom, who are in the middle and probably spread out. Now that he's a man, okay, that whole week made a difference, okay? (laughs) He's now a man. Where's the possibility of him traveling? Front or the rear? Okay. Could it be possible that Mary and Joseph weren't together in this traveling for the day and they assumed he, you know, dad's got him or mom's got him? Is that a reasonable explanation that he's mixed in with the other kids? So it's, it's not far-fetched. It's not at all difficult for us to say, knowing how they traveled at that point. And by the way, you're in a group of, let, let's put you in a group of 50 people. Do you all walk the same pace? I mean, let's put you in a group of two, okay? Do you walk the same pace? No, okay. So what's the possibility here? Is as we're walking and as the day goes along, 
we're getting spread it out. You don't, did, I said that bad English. Okay. Um, and, you know, they're around the corner. It's easy to miss somebody. It's really easy because you just plan, tonight we're going to stop at such and such an oasis. They have McDonald's there. That's where we're going to stop. Yeah. And we're going to get to that spot and we'll catch up to you. If we're spread out a little bit, we're spread out a little bit. And so they don't find until evening time to get there and they say, hey, where's Jesus? Yeah. Amongst, amongst at least seven, eight kids, I'm surprised. They asked, okay, yeah, yeah, that they, you know, that they missed him. Um, and so they started asking amongst the friends and the relatives, did you see Jesus, did you see Jesus? And the answer is, nobody has seen Jesus since they left. So the passage reports to us that um, they supposing him to have been in the company, went the day's journey, they sought him amongst kinfolk, and when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. Did they take the other kids? Did they send the other kids home? We don't know. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking questions. The three days becomes this possibility that what had happened, which we've already mentioned, they come back and the three days that's there that they start looking for him, how could you get three days of losing Jesus? Well, it could be this way. One day of traveling... And then you realize he's gone. One day headed back. And then the one day looking. It doesn't mean necessarily three days in Jerusalem. It could. It could. But um, we, we don't know which it was. But it's interesting, the verbs that are used in, each, in the phrases that don't come out in the English as much. But they give the sense that they were really, really engaged in trying to find Jesus. And uh, they were anticipating something. The point that the writer is making by saying, okay, they, they, three days, the, the point of making, they, they looked hard is, and this, is, this plays into it, because this is where Jesus responds to them. They absolutely, positively had no idea where their kid was. They had no idea. That's the point that he's making. They had no clue where Jesus was, and so they're looking for him. What do you think they were feeling at the time? Panic. Panic? Joy? <laughs> Anybody have any, any indication in the passage that they felt panicked? Or is it just you know, our own experience? Where, where do you get that? Yeah, where? Which verse? Verse 48. And when they saw him, they were amazed. Amazed you, is, is there, I'm playing with you. Keep reading. Oh, okay, okay. They were amazed, and his mother said, Son, why have you done thus dealt with us? Behold, that your father and I have sought you with what emotion? I have sorrowing. What do you have? Anxious. Okay, okay. With that distressed, um, the words that's used here, the original word is the same word that is used where Paul writes that I am grieving, I am distressed that my kinsmen Israel are, de- are uh, headed for hell. And it's a strong term. It's the strong term used for the rich man that is in hell and he says, I am what in these flames? I am tormented. I am in great distress. So this is their feeling, just like, ah, the, you know, a helpless feeling. And panic is, is a good word, Jim, that we would use in modern days. And when they find him, what's Jesus doing? Okay, this is where there's that debate that people will throw up and they say, oh, they found him is sitting in the midst of the doctors, both what? And this is important from a, from a correct point of view. What is he doing? He's, he's hearing, he's listening, and what else? And he's asking, asking questions. So he's engaged in dialogue as a 12-year-old boy with the doctors. Could it be examination? That would fit that terminology. Could it be it's even more than the examination? That would fit the terminology as well. And so Jesus is there, and there's this discussion. And remember how this works, okay? The teachers could be sitting in the temple or in the courtyards around the temple in some of the pavilions where there's all these different hallways where they would hold classes. And by the way, according to the book of Acts, that's where they held church in some of those hallways. 
uh, initially. And so the students are asking questions. They could be instructing. Jesus went to the temple several times, and he gathered people, and he instructed. And he was usually along those hallways. And so this could be that, that situation. And I told you now, here's what ex, extra biblical literature says. Jesus was the one doing all the teaching. Well, that's not what the passage says. Okay? He's listening even. They even have gone so far to say this. In the Arabic gospel, they say he was teaching them about astronomy and medicines. And so they, it's elaborated. We don't have any clue that there was any discussion along those ways. But the point is, he is hearing, he is asking questions. It's the only time in the scriptures where Jesus is taking an instruction. We know he did it because he's increasing in wisdom, but it's the only time that he is now being taught, specifically stated. The response of the teachers was, okay, They are impressed because it says all that heard him were amazed at his understanding and answers. So Jesus is relaying that he has real knowledge, insight. He can quote scripture probably better than... Yeah, most everybody there. And so they're they're impressed by Jesus. Okay, so what we learn from that is he loved to learn. What we learned from that is he obviously was engaged in spiritual topics. We're not surprised by that. What we learn, he's a great thinker at an early age. We learn that he's, he's impressing others, and they would have assumed he is a gifted student. There is one other character in Scripture. Uh, yeah, in scripture. We don't have a lot of his background, but we know from other writings that he was considered highly gifted even as a, a teenager, and he was for sure headed for the Academy of Jerusalem. He's, a, he's an important Bible character. Anybody want to guess who it is? The Apostle Paul, but as a youngster, it was Saul. That he showed great skill and great ability. So Jesus was one of those types of students. And uh, when his parents found him, what is their initial response? Okay. Okay, there it says in the text that uh, after they found him, they... Um, and when they saw him, they're amazed. I, I read that in the English in verse 48. Do you have another word? Amazed? Astonished? Okay. They're surprised. Now, we don't know exactly what all the surprise is. Okay. I think Jesus gives us a hint in a moment. But they're astonished. What would be your emotional response? What would you, what would you think? Come on. I mean, be honest. You would be absolutely relieved, and then, okay, you thought you were you thought you were lost before, okay, okay. Now that I found you, I want to take you out. <laughs> yeah, in in you know because there's that relief, that anger, and that frustration. So when it says, "Why did you do this to us? Why did you do that?" Can you appreciate mom and dad's response? Yeah, absolutely. Where they're just like, uh, you know, we sought you. We had this trauma. And why have you treated us this way? It's almost as if, you know, one, why did you do this? But number two, it's almost as if this is so atypical of Jesus. So they, uh, and then Jesus' response, your Bible typically, I, I think all of your translations will read, uh, how is it that you sought me? Don't, didn't you know I must be about my father's? Is that, does anybody have anything different than my fa- about my father's business? Anybody have a different translation? Your father's house? Really? Okay, what, are you NIV? ESV? What do you, NIV? Interesting that they would do that. Do you know what it is? Do you know what it really is? We don't know. We don't know. You know what it, how it really translates? Just what I put up here. There's no noun ending it. There's no, there's no explanation. Don't you know I must be about my father's? He's Pennsylvania Dutch. <laughs> he isn't finishing the sentence right, okay? Yeah, it's all. All what? <laughs> so Jesus leaves it wide open, which leaves it to who to figure out what it was? The reader. It leaves us to figure out, okay, some of us, the, the editors of our Bibles, they concluded it's about my father's 
business. Your contributors, they assume it must be referring to the, the place, the temple. Okay, so there's another possibility. Okay, I must be about my father's business. I must be about my father's place of worship. I must be about my father's will. That could be there. That would be the business. How about people? About my father's people. There's, there's these possibilities. We don't know. Or what's the, what's the reality? It could be all of them. Because are all of these something Jesus was engaged in? And are they important? Okay, so the first words out of Jesus' mouth kind of leaves us in a conundrum. What exactly was he referring to? But if you look at what he's saying, you know, it's also interesting the way he phrased it in the original language, they're supposed to answer, yes, we know. They don't, but the way it's phrased, it's clear he wanted a yes answer from mom and dad. So he's surprised. You know, didn't, didn't you know? I'm supposed to be about my father's stuff. People, place, everything. You know this, mom and dad. In other words, mom and dad, you know this. You've already been told this. When were they told he was going to be focusing on the father's stuff? Simeon and Anna, the prophecy would be indicating he's there. The angel's announcement to Mary, Joseph, the time that she meets with Elizabeth, it's very, it's, they've gotten a lot of different information over the years that Jesus is unique, that Jesus is the Son of God. He's going to be focused in on what's going on. And so basically he's saying, I don't understand why you're so upset, but it, could that be a part of an immaturity from a teenager saying, I don't understand why you got so upset? Is that a possibility? It could be their, their lack of remembrance. You're saying, because what's Mary's response? At the, when it's all done, what does Mary do? She pondered these things, right? Okay. Don, were you going to add something? It'd be what? What translation Greek are you using? Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure about that specific phrase. Um yeah, because in the, the text that we're working with specifically talks about my fathers. Yeah, there's no pater in what you're reading. Okay. Let me compare with what you have and what, you know, from the Greek text that, we, that we're working with. <clears throat> the, uh, but, but are we saying the same thing? We're, it's saying the same thing. It's saying the same thing where it's basically it's to be about, uh, about the, the stuff. He doesn't, he doesn't finish it off. Um, let's pause. Here's my question. What does this tell you about Jesus? His first words. What do you, what, what do you get out of it? Somebody. He's committed to his father's will. What else do you have? Is that it? Is that all we have? He what? He knew who he was? Does that reveal more to give us an insight into his self-awareness? Yes? Okay. What does it tell you about him and the Father? Okay, let me, let me preface it this way. How did most of the Jews refer to God? <coughs> well, he was one God. When they would pray, how would they usually address him? Jesus, they would they would use formality. Would they typically use <clears throat> my father? <clears throat> no. 
No, because it was too personalized. It was too personalized, too intimate. Now, they might use our Father, but not my Father. What is Jesus telling you? What is he revealing about himself? He's got a unique relationship. Okay? And so you got that where he's got the awareness you mentioned as well. Okay? He has a great relationship, a unique relationship by emphasizing that my father, one that's very personal, one that's unique. He has a great desire to be close to the father. Um, I must, I must, okay, what does that tell you? I put it up there. Okay. He is really, this isn't something optional. He has a, he has an absolute commitment and awareness that he's on a mission. It's a priority in his life. All those little details so far. That's telling us about Jesus. As well as the whole story is revealing, he's amazing even early on. Okay, he's displaying spiritual spirituality even early, early on from a different age, from a younger age. And again, it highlights his walk with God, his purity. It also tells us, the story tells us his humanity is real. How do we know that from the account that we read? How do we know he's real people? He's God, but he's real people. Okay, okay, if you have verse 51, he's going to be obedient to the parents, okay, which involves real people relationships. We know real people, he increased in wisdom and stature, <clears throat> so he increases with favor with other people, so we know all that. But we also know that, you know, his growth, his submission to his parents is really interesting. My, my question to you is this, okay? So he submits to the parents where it says in the next verse, right afterwards, that goes on, and they understood not the saying that he spake to them, but he went down, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. His mother keeps all these things in her heart. It surprises me, not so, but yes so, it surprises me he's subject unto them. Why? What did you say? He's God. He's, but he's man, okay? The, take, take everything that's stated about him, which is very commendable. He is subject unto them even though he's God, they're not. Even though he's, he's considered, um, is that what you meant by a man? Not his humanity? Did you mean his adulthood? Okay, we're gonna, then we'll come back to that one. You're talking about his adulthood. Because at this moment, what does society say about him? He's a man. He can even travel with a man. Okay? But he's very clearly subject unto them, even though he is now a man. Okay? Anything else that strikes you? Look at the phrases that are used to tell you how they respond. This is very commendable. Jesus is subject to them, even though... Okay, he created them. I'm looking at the phrase that says how they, how they view Jesus. What does it say? They don't understand him. If somebody doesn't understand you and can't figure you out, what would be our normal human response? <clears throat> Write him off. Okay? Um, none of you did this. None of you did this. But when I was a teenager, when I became... A man, I put away childish things, like my parents telling me what to do, okay, because I got my license, okay, and now that I have my license, I had my freedom, okay, and if mom and dad didn't understand me, that was all the more reason to have more freedom. So Jesus in this story is just, you know, it's amazing. He's, so we ask, why did he go with them? He's not old enough to go out and do public ministry. What's the age to do? He, he knows he's called of God. Well, what's the age for public ministry? Okay. It's 30 years old. In Jewish culture, you can't be a priest, can't be a serving priest until you're 30 years of age. And so he's, he's not old enough to do public ministry from a human point of view. He could have gone out as a teenager and say, but I'm God. 
And how would you have responded? Yeah, right. Okay. I mean, did they even respond positively when he was of age? No. So you can imagine, they, they, what would they have thought about a, a 14-year-old kid coming and saying, I'm God. How would people have responded? Okay. They, they, they would have just written him off. But you say he would have done miracles. He did miracles as an adult. And what did they do? They still wrote him off. Okay, so from a social point of view, he's not old enough. And according to the Old Testament law, is he still supposed to be following the direction of his parents? He's a man, but he's still within their house. And what's he supposed to do according to the law? Honor and obey, okay? And that it may, you may be, live long. And Jesus, we know, he came to, what with the law? Fulfill the law. Okay. So even though he was committed to serve God, Jesus showed great submission because, and it's amazing because who he is, you already said he's God, because of the number of years he has to follow. He's only 12. How many more years does he have to submit? Well, he doesn't get married, lives in the household, and so he's got a few more years to go. And his parents' limitations, they don't understand him. The bottom line is, Jesus loved to respect his parents. Let's just wrap up with this. They're surprised when he, that he did that. Mary sounds surprised. It's almost as if this isn't the way Jesus normally acted. So she's surprised towards them, and he continually obeys them. His willingness even to learn the trade, despite God has big plans. What's God's plans for him when it comes to carpentry work when he does ministry? But what does he learn? The carpentry trade, okay? That his dad is teaching him. His love and respect is seeing that he, the fact that he's a e- teenager. They wrongly corrected him in public. They didn't fully understand him. He felt a higher calling. We know he has a love for God's word. How do we know that? He refers to it. He memorized it. And here, he's in that discussion for three days. He's one of those people that gets so involved in Bible study, he loses track of time. Has that ever happened to you? Yes, No. I mean, seriously, have you ever, have you ever been listening to a message and so engaged in a message that you lost track of time? You're all supposed to say, every Sunday, yes, okay? (laughs) Bottom line, he loved other people. He increased with favor with God and man, loved the opportunity to serve God and could be a must be about God's people. We're supposed to be looking like him. So even as a 12-year-old kid, do we look like him in that sense, in how we act and how we relate to other people? There's a whole lot here in the story. It's an excellent story that gives us his first words, his second recorded words. Actually, his third recorded words are going to come up in his first miracle. The miracle where he advocates, go out and get drunk. Does he ever do that? You know what miracle I'm talking about? Is that how some people interpret it? Yeah, we're going to get the real interpretation next week. Okay, thanks for listening. Thanks for your input. Great discussion.